I am Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And, uh, you know, this past Monday on my day off, I went mountain biking. And I was going to go to a particular trail where in the past there had been different mountain lion attacks. Now, according to experts, lions don't normally attack humans. It is extremely rare. But it does happen on occasion. And so if I'm going to ride this trail, I have to know what to expect. And so I show up at the trail, and I'm greeted by this sign right here. This welcomes me at the trailhead. And so I have to know what to do in the case of mountain lion attacks. And it's scary, right? I remember reading in the news about 31-year-old Travis Kaufman, who went for a jog there in Colorado, and he was on the trails, and he normally wears his headphones, but on one particular day, he decided not to wear his headphones, which probably was a good decision because as he was running on that trail, he heard rustling in the pine needles behind him, which he doesn't usually pay much attention to because there's a lot of deer and a lot of squirrels in that area, so he doesn't usually give much attention. But that day, his instinct told him to look over his shoulder, and when he did, he said his heart dropped into his stomach, and his worst fear was confirmed when 10 feet behind him was a mountain lion. And so what did Travis Kaufman do when he saw that mountain lion? Well, he did what all the manuals will tell you to do. He threw his hands up, and he started waving his hands in the air and making noise to make himself bigger and more intimidating than he normally is. And when he did that, the lion didn't do anything. And so he put his hands down, and as soon as Travis put his hands down, the lion saw an opportunity to attack, and the lion lunged for Travis's face. And at that moment, according to his testimony, Travis said, once again, I threw my hands up. And when he threw his hands up, thank God he did, because his wrist was intercepted by the lion's mouth. The lion clenched onto his wrist, and down they went to the floor for a wrestling match, which Travis says went on for another good three minutes. And as they were wrestling on the floor, somehow Travis at one point was able to use his body and his other hand to somehow strangle the lion and suffocate the lion, killing the lion. That day, Travis walked away alive from the prowling lion, and today he has fully recovered and is back on the trails. What do you do when a lion attacks? Well, all the manuals will tell you to do what Travis did. Throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. And Travis will tell you that very decision helped save the day. I share that story with you because we've been in this series called The Eye of a Lion. And we've been talking about how in the Bible there's certain characters who had eyes like lions. They're able to see in the darkness, just like lions have this incredible ability to see light in the darkness. And last week, Pastor Gary preached from 1 Peter, and he showed us how Peter had eyes to see. That even though in the darkness the devil is at work, God is at work. And one of the passages that Pastor Gary showed us was 1 Peter 5.8, and here's what it says. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So you know who else has eyes like lion? Besides Jeremiah and Mordecai 
and David and Peter. The devil. The devil has an eye like a lion. He's able to see in the darkness, for he is the author of darkness. But while you, church, are seeking to find good in the darkness, he's looking to find food in the darkness. And so how should we live as the devil prowls around looking to devour you and to devour me in the midst of our present darkness? I want to suggest today that one thing we must always do is throw our hands up. Throw our hands up. And today I want to show you from Exodus chapter 17 the power of having hands thrown up to the sky. So would you guys turn there and let's pray and ask the Spirit to lead us into this time. Let's pray. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that whether we are feeling strong right now or feeling weak, God, you would help us to fix our eyes on the one who is most powerful. God, we pray again for all the people in our community and our church family who are struggling, for the family affected by COVID and many others we may not even know about. God, we pray that they would throw their hands up. And God, we pray that we would come alongside them and throw our hands up as well. Show us the power of what happens when we do so. And God, I pray that your word right now would come alive and show us its relevance, its power, its timeliness for a time such as this. And I pray, God, as, as your servant, as I preach, that nothing I say today would be successful that nothing I say would be transformative, that nothing I say would be glorified unless you are glorified, unless we see and are convinced that it is from you and you are the source of all good news and all truth. So God, bring success because of your power and your namesake. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Exodus 17, that's where we are today. And in Exodus 17, we have this guy named Moses who has always been the fearless leader of the Israelites up until this point. He's been the fearless leader, but in Exodus 17, in come the Amalekites to do battle with the Israelites. And so what does Moses, the fearless leader, do when the Amalekites come to fight? He runs for the hills. Like this guy runs for the hills in surrender. Really, Moses? Yeah, he does, but not because he was scared, not because he was in panic, but because he saw that as the only solution to win this battle. Here's what Exodus 17 says. We start in verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. And so what, what's happening in the story? Well, Moses sends Joshua and the men down to go do battle in the valley while Moses goes to do battle up on the hill. And, and the story is, is fascinating. It's, it's crazy. Because you read it right there. As long as his hands were up, the Israelites would be winning. And as long as his hands came down, they would start losing. 
What in the world is that about? What is it about this posture that was giving the Israelites the upper hand and giving them the victory? Is this some kind of magical posture? Up we win, down we lose, up we win. What is it about it? And I realize it is no magical posture, but it is a a very spiritual posture. That the outward raising of hands reflects the inward raising of one's heart. That the physical raising of hand reflects the, the inward spiritual posture of one's heart. And this was a posture that, you know, in the past I've given messages where this is a posture of praise. And we know that in battle when praise goes up, power comes down. But do you know what else this is a posture of? It's a posture of surrender. I surrender. I give up. And Moses throwing his hands up in the midst of this battle was him saying, I give up. I surrender. But not to the Amalekites because they're powerful. I surrender to you because you are powerful. You are strong. And it was a humble declaration of dependence on God. It was humble surrender where he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. God, I need you. I need you still. And so write this down if you're taking notes. Would you write this down? Throw your hands up when you are strong. Throw your hands up when you are strong. Despite your successes, despite your strength, throw your hands up. See, we we often say that the devil attacks us by getting us to focus less on Jesus and to focus on our failures or to wallow in our weakness or to be haunted by our hang-ups, right? That's usually what we equate with spiritual attack. But you know, if we had eyes like a lion we would be able to see that sometimes the devil can get us to take our eyes off of Jesus by highlighting our highlights. We never think about it like that, do we? When was the last time you ever heard someone come to you and say, man, I just got a job promotion and I got a pay raise. I feel spiritually attacked right now. Or, Or when was the last time someone said to you, man, I just aced all my exams, man. The devil is fierce. No, right? We, we usually equate personal setback with spiritual attack, not personal progress, not personal advancement. And though the Lord is the author of all good things and, and, and blessings that happen in our life, the tactic of the devil will always be to get our eyes and our dependence and our trust off of Jesus, off of the Lord our God, and onto anything else. And sure, yeah, he could get us to take our eyes off Jesus and focus on our failures and on our setbacks. Sure, he could do that. But sometimes he'll also get us to have the same result, taking our eyes off Jesus, if he could get us to focus on your strengths, your resources, your successes, as if they came from you. I want to say, beware the devil. Beware the devil, as he will often try to get you to fix your eyes on everything but Christ. Now, I don't know what kind of successes you're riding on right now. I don't know what resources you have to put glory in. Maybe maybe you've closed the deal before, 
And so the next one should be no problem for you in your business. Maybe you've aced your exams, so the next one should be no problem. Maybe you've beat cancer, so you feel like you're out of the woods. Maybe, maybe your first kid was amazing, so your second one should be no problem. You've nailed this parenting thing down. You've got this. But I want to say to you, beware the devil's trap of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Beware the devil's trap to get us to depend on historical wins rather than Christ who sits on the throne. I want to say to you, church, surrender still. No matter what strengths or successes or resources you have, surrender still and acknowledge where those wins come from and where those resources came from. Listen, if anyone has reason to feel comfortable in his present strength and in past victories, it's Moses. Right here in Exodus 17, Moses is the guy who freed an entire nation from one of the world's most powerful armies, the Egyptian army. Moses was the guy who led over 2.4 million Israelites across the Red Sea. Not the Red Stream, not the Red River, the Red Sea, the oceans parted for him. Moses was the guy who was able to keep well-fed over 2.4 million Israelites in the desert by feeding them quail and manna from heaven. We think it's amazing that Jesus fed 5,000 with bread and fish. That is amazing. But don't forget that Moses fed 2.4 million with bird and fish as they were there in the desert. If anybody has reason to find comfort in his present strength and past successes, it's Moses. If anyone had reason to feel tempted that he was the man, Moses was the man. And yet Moses isn't dumb. Because Moses knows that Moses isn't the man. Moses knows that God is God. And that's why he goes back to the hill and he throws his hands up and surrenders. He had eyes like a lion and he could see clearly where all their wins came from, where all their successes came from. And his eyes and his dependence was on the God who is on the throne. If he gloated in all his victories that he's already experienced up to this point, then this battle with the Malachites should be nothing for him. It should be easy. And yet he knew his place. He knew exactly what he had to do. He had to go back to that place of humble surrender and say, God, we need you. And his hands thrown up on that hill was him saying to God, God, I surrender. God, do it again. I've seen you move. You move the oceans, and I believe I'll see you do it again. So, God, do it again. We need you now. And in his strengths, he threw his hands up, and he lifted his hands to the hand that is mightier than his, the hand of God. You know, when my wife and I, Monica, we, when we got married, we moved into an apartment, and it was a small apartment, but it was nice. They, they remodeled the place, they made the whole place new. Um, the place was probably 50, 60 years old, and uh, everything looked nice, except when it came winter time, 
place was freezing. Like there was no sunlight that could make it into our apartment, the way our apartment was positioned. No sunlight. So when we woke up in the morning, it was freezing. When we went to bed at night, it was freezing. And it was so lame because when they remodeled this place, you, you still, the one thing that they didn't change was these old thermometers, these thermostats on the wall with the old dials, probably it's original equipment from like the 1950s or 1960s. And, and apparently it cost a lot to look good because they took out, when they remodeled the place, all the heating vents. So we had no heater in this place, right? And so, so we had to buy this little metal space heater, this dinky little space heater that we had to plug into the wall. And like the entire winter, because that's all we had, we kept it in our office, the, the one room we turned into the office, and it's like we lived in that room trying to, trying to survive the harsh Southern California winter, right? It's brutal out here in the winter. I mean, it must have dropped to like 60 degrees, but here we are around this heater trying to survive. It was harsh. And uh, I remember talking with a neighbor that winter and just complained to him. I said, I can't believe the management of this place didn't think about installing heaters for the people. And my neighbor laughed at me. He said, are you, are you kidding me? He's like, what are you talking about? All these units are fitted with this high, highly efficient, energy-saving, powerful ceiling heaters. So if you have in your apartment, you should have a knob in your apartment. You just set the thermostat to the temperature you want, and the heater throughout your ceiling heats up. It's an electrical heater that emits and radiates heat evenly throughout your whole place. It's amazing. And when he told me that, like this is almost the, the end of winter, I said, what? Like this whole time, I had this powerful resource, this cost-efficient, energy-saving powerful heat that can radiate and keep me alive, yet I was relying and depending on this dinky little box, this lesser resource. What a shame. And I, I say to you, church, I don't know what strengths or resources or successes that you have under your belt, but I want to say all of it are lesser resources in light of the incomparable power we have above us right now. If we would just remember that the God who sits on the throne, who's the author of these great resources and successes and wins, he's the author of it all. And if we would just regular, regularly throw our hands up and acknowledge him, we have it available to us right now. So church, throw your hands up when you are strong. Throw your hands up when you are strong. Now, as Pastor Dave shared at the opening of the service, there's a family in our church so dear to us who has been showing COVID-like symptoms. And the husband right now, as I speak, is in the hospital awaiting his results, being cared for by the staff. He's had fever. He's having trouble breathing as of this morning. And I was texting with his wife, and she was saying to me, she says, man, I don't want to have fake faith. She's like, I'm going to be real right now. I feel weak. And she says, I keep going back, Pastor Greg, from feeling strong and feeling weak. She said, I'm concerned about my weakness. You know what I texted her back? I texted her back and I told her, throw your hands up when you feel strong and throw your hands up when you feel weak.
So would you guys write this down? Write this down for the second point for today. Throw your hands up when you are weak. You know, as the Israelites were fighting there in the valley against the Malachites, they must have been encouraged to know that there was a man standing on the hill interceding for them. And, and I, I imagine that every once in a while they would glance back to be encouraged again because they knew Moses was like this with God. Their fearless leader was like this. They, they talked to each other. They communicated with each other. He's beheld his glory face to face up on Mount Sinai. So as long as Moses and God are good, we're good. We just need to know that they're good. And so they would keep on looking back to be reassured and strengthened. But here's the thing. You think about this story. From a distance, what did the Israelites in the valley see? Well, this is what they saw. Back that camera up. I want to show you something. Back that camera up. From a distance, this is probably all that they saw. They could just see hands raised. That's all they saw. They saw hands raised. But you know what they couldn't see from afar? Bring that camera in. Bring that camera in. They probably couldn't see this from the valley. They probably didn't see this. Or they they probably didn't see this. They could not see from the distance their leader's weakness. They couldn't see his weirdness. All they saw was just hands up. And it, it looked good to them. And they assumed it was all good. But he felt weak at times. Look what it says as we continue on in the story. Exodus 17. Let's go back to verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. What the people couldn't see from a distance, what they couldn't see from afar, could be seen by those up close. They couldn't see that he grew weary and that he grew weak, that he wasn't as strong as he seemed, that he wasn't always as put together as they perceived. But you know who could see Moses in a way that others couldn't see? You know who had eyes of a lion in the midst of that battle? Those who were close enough to him. Those who were standing close enough to him. Two guys named Aaron and Hur. Two guys whom Moses invited to stand with him in that battle. Two guys he brought up with him to that hill. And when they saw what others could not see, when, when his weariness was causing his eyes to droop from heaven, when his weakness was causing his hands to come down from the throne, they were there to lift up their hands to help lift up his hands and help him refocus on the throne. I praise God that there are people who can be close enough to us to see our weakness and help us to raise our hands. I was part of a uh, pastor's soul care group in Orange County. It was just about four pastors, and we met with a counselor. And it was just a place 
where I could go to take care of my own soul to make sure I stayed healthy, a place where we could share about things we were thinking and feeling about ministry and, and, and family and life in general. And I remember one of the first meetings, the, uh, the counselor asked us this question, and he said to us, he says, where can you go to let your weakness show? And the, the pastor next to me quickly raised his hands, and he threw up a symbol. He says, nowhere. He says, my family needs me to be strong. My kids need me to, me to be strong. My elders need me to be strong. My staff needs me to be strong. My church needs me to be strong. I can't afford to be weak. And when I heard that internally, that saddened my soul. That, that broke my heart, that he had nowhere. As time went on, you, you saw him begin to break down and just burn out. And by the, one of our last meetings together, he shared how he was burned out and how he was even personally questioning the very existence of God. And it broke my heart that there was no one in his life that he could share that with. You know, church, as, as real and as authentic as I always strive to be from this stage behind this pulpit, I realize that there are things that you cannot see from afar. There are things that you could not see from the seats as I stood on the stage. There are things even now, further now, as I'm on this side of the camera and you're on that side of the camera from your living room, there are things you cannot see. But I thank God that there have been guys in my life close enough who could see what you can't, who could see my moments of weakness and weariness. For example, this past week, you didn't see this when it was happening, but this past week, my wife and my three kids were out of town. They went to Yosemite with, with my mother-in-law to spend some time out there. I had to stay back because I had a message to preach. But as I was home alone, I had the whole house to myself, trying to work on a message. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. The battle was real. The struggle was real. And lustful thoughts filled my mind. I mean, I have a house. I don't have kids to bathe and to put to bed. I don't have my wife to have and to hold. And so here I am alone with all this time. And the battle began to rage. And I felt the presence of a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. And all sorts of temptations surrounded me. I have this one friend who every single week will record an audio prayer on his phone and he'll text me the prayer and I get to listen to this prayer. Some, some weeks he'll do it multiple times, especially on the weeks that I preach. He's a friend who recognizes that when I do ministry, this is spiritual battle going on. And so he's constantly fighting with me and supporting me. And so when this battle this week with lust came up, it was easy for me to share this with him and show my weakness and say, hey, brother, pray for me as I'm preparing this week's message. Pray for me against lust. Pray that I don't give in to temptation. Pray that I keep my mind pure. Pray that I keep my mind focused. Because of his consistency of standing with me from battle to battle, it was easy for me to show my weakness. In fact, there were three friends this week Friends who regularly text me, regularly check in with me, regularly pray for me, who I felt because of their consistent closeness, I could show them my weakness too. And all three of them, I share the same struggle. Would you guys pray that I stay pure and not give in to lustful temptation? And their prayers 
were like Aaron and her coming alongside of me and helping me keep my hands raised and my focus where it belongs. Now, I want to ask you the same question that the counselor asked my soul care group. Where can you go to let your weakness show? Where can you go to let your weakness show? When was the last time you had a brother or sister in your life where you could say to them, hey, I'm struggling right now with jealousy. Pray for my mind. Man, I'm struggling right now with hatred or racism. Pray for my heart. I'm struggling right now with with my spouse. Pray for my mouth. I'm struggling right now with, with pornography. Pray for my eyes. When was the last time you were able to let your weakness show? And so here is the practical takeaway. I want to challenge everybody watching right now listening, two people. Pray for two people whom you will personally invite into your life to stand with you through the battles. Write write their names down right now. And this week, I want to challenge you to make that verbal invitation. Invite them. Can I show you my weakness? Can I show you when I struggle? And will you stand with me and pray with me and keep my focus on heaven? If more than two names come to mind, write down more than two names and make the asks this week. And even if you're not going through a battle right now and it's not raging right now, pray that they will stand there. Invite them to stand there so that when that day comes, they will be ready to fight with you. So who are those two people? And here's the thing. When you let people into your life and you allow them to stand so close to you, so that they can see your weariness and your weakness. This, this thing happens. Don't be surprised by this. That sometimes when they're so close to you, so close that they can see your weakness, you'll recognize that you're close enough to see theirs. Those three guys that I reached out to this week and say, hey, pray for this struggle with lust and temptation. Two of the three immediately in that same conversation shared their weakness with me, things that they hadn't shared before. They said, pray for me like this, and and they shared a struggle with me that I could pray for them over. Here's what 1 Peter says, going back to that passage about the lion. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now check this out, next verse, 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, your sisterhood throughout the world. What's Peter saying in this last verse right here? He's saying, look, you might be weak, but you ain't unique. You might be weak, but you ain't unique. You're not special in that you're the only one struggling In this world, you're not. Surprise, other people struggle too. Other people experience weariness and weakness too. And sometimes it takes one person in a friendship, one weak person in a relationship, to be the first one to initiate and open up and bring the guard down. And soon after, you'll see walls come crumbling down. And when you're allowing a person in your life close enough to stand by you and you're able to show them your weakness and then you notice, man, this person is listening to me and cares for me and I could just vomit on this person and share all my struggles 
you're going to notice at some point, for some people, they're going to feel comfortable enough to now vomit back on you. They're going to be able to open up to you about all that's inside of their heart and their lives right now. And don't be surprised that as you guys stand there, you're going to notice something. You're going to be like, hey, your vomit looks a lot like my vomit. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's all ugly and it's a mess and it doesn't look too different from mine. We both have stuff in our life that needs to be lifted up to the Lord. The devil is fierce. And in times like these, when darkness surrounds us, he's going to want to attack you. He's going to want to take your eyes off Jesus, and he'll attack you in your strengths, and he'll attack you in your weaknesses. So church, raise your hands. Throw your hands up when you are strong, and throw your hands up when you are weak. And if you are too weak to even raise up your hands, I pray that you will have friends close enough to you who will raise your hands up for you. And make sure those friends aren't just friends who you can cry to and lean on and open up to, all that, but most importantly, friends who will love you enough to help you raise your hands back up, who will love you enough to make sure your focus is back on Jesus Christ, the King, who sits on the throne, because that's where the power comes from. That's the most important thing. That's where victories are won. That's where the battle belongs. And so as I close, I want to bring you back to that battle in the valley, the Malachites versus the Israelites. And again, I really believe it is the case that as they were fighting there, it, it was so light-shedding, it was so life-giving, it was so strength-inducing for those Israelites as they're fighting there in the valley to glance back and see a man standing on that hill with a man on each side of him with his hands stretched out interceding on their behalf, calling upon the God of heaven that must have given them power to keep fighting. I want to say to you, friends, as, as you find yourself in the midst of battle and as darkness surrounds you, I want to say keep fighting. Keep fighting the good faith. Keep raising your hands when you are strong and when you feel weak. Raise your hands and keep fighting, but don't forget to look back. Don't forget to glance back. Because as you fight, remember, there was a man who stood on the hill, who had a man on each side of him, and with arms stretched out, he interceded on your behalf. And according to Hebrews 7, 35, he still intercedes for you to this day, in this moment, to save you. And because of those outstretched hands, the battle was won. Victory was achieved. Death was conquered. Sin was dealt with. Your record was cleared. And you were given life because of those outstretched hands from that man on the hill. Is there any battle greater than that? Is there any battle more powerful than that in which he won, in which he is the victor? Everything else now is just mop-up stuff. To you, it is big and debilitating 
but to him, it's mop-up stuff. And so, as church, I want to encourage you, keep your hands up. Throw your hands up. When you are strong and when you're weak, throw your hands up because when your hands go up, so do your eyes. And when we fix our eyes on the throne, that we will have eyes like lions and we will see light and hope and life even when darkness surrounds. We will have eyes like lions. Amen? Would you guys bow with me? And I want to lead you into prayer. And right now, I want to speak to those who are especially right now feeling weak. And maybe you don't even know the God who sits on the throne. You don't even know Jesus in a personal way. I want to say to you right now, his power is incomparable and it's available to you. The power to give you life. The power to forgive your sins. The power to purchase your life for eternity. But not just does he want to give you power in eternity. He wants to give you power for this day. Whatever battle you might be facing. And the Bible says that if you believe in him, you put your faith in him, you trust that he died and he rose from the grave to give you life, to give you that power, then it's yours. He's yours. And he wants to come and fill your life and walk with you each day, carry you through the battles. I want to invite you to pray right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I just encourage you to pray the same prayer with faith, 100% faith, as if you were talking to God and express your decision to trust in him and commit to him right now and watch his power unfold in your life. Would you guys pray this? Dear God, I thank you so much for exposing to me this idea that there is a man who stood on the hill and had his arms stretched out so that I could overcome, that I could experience victory. God, I pray today by faith that you would come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me not to be hung up on my hang-ups. And I pray that I would just be able to cling to you, find hope in you, and trust in you, even when everything else seems so dark. So today I give you my life. Help me to understand you more, to learn more about you. Help me from this day forward to walk with you every single day. Thank you, God, for saving me. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.